want and need you at the church potluck, spoken by Pastor Eugene Cho. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. What a joy and privilege to join you again. Uh, I feel like I've been um, having the privilege of being able to gather here about once a year. And again, I look forward to it all the time. Uh, As uh, Pastor Peter shared, you know, he's a a dear friend and uh, we enjoy spending time together. And uh, I will share with you that when he told me he enjoyed fishing, I had no idea initially that he wasn't very good. But I will say he has become a worthy competitor. And so we're actually going fishing tomorrow and uh, we're looking forward to that. I wanna just share a couple things before we read the scripture and then we uh, dive into God's word. Um, you know, one of the reasons why I love this church is I have a deep level of respect for the leadership of this church. Uh, during this past year, it's not quite what I thought God had in store for me, but just for this past year, after I stepped down, uh, there were a couple invitations to help out two churches that were going through some incredibly painful uh, seasons of their church. A small church in the Seattle area and then a larger church uh, in the Midwest in the United States. And both of these situations were because of pastors going through um, uh, uh, basically uh, moral decisions that were ungodly. Uh, really painful stuff. One of these churches lost 5,000 people in about six months. Uh, Really hard stuff. And I know that your pastors, clearly, they're not perfect, because no one's perfect. But uh, I just want you to know that you have a senior pastor, you have leadership here that loves Jesus, loves people. They are seeking to embody integrity character and those things really matter. And so I pray that you would continue to encourage them and pray for them and support them um, and to cheer them on because it really, really matters. Um, The second thing I wanna just share with you is, uh, you know, as Pastor Peter shared, I run an organization called One Day's Wages. If you have a chance sometime, check out onedayswages.org. We're celebrating our 10th anniversary in about two weeks. Uh, In about 10 years, uh, God has used this grassroots humanitarian organization and we raised over $8 million to invest in projects and partnerships all around the world. And I just met uh, the executive director uh, that you guys know of Zimele, Angela, and so tomorrow, One Day's Wages and Zimele were launching a partnership together. We've awarded a $40,000 grant, okay? And so, um, and, and I should clarify that, what that means is that One Day's Wages, we're granting 20,000, we're challenging, we're challenging the community of Zimele to raise 20,000 and we'll, ra- we'll match every single dollar up to $20,000. And so I hope you'll hear more about it because I'm sure they're gonna uh, invite you to be a part of that and we're hoping that that will be the first of several partnerships together. Um, Pastor Peter invited me to uh, join a trip early in this year, and I want you to genuinely know uh, there's no perfect organization out there, but I was so, so impressed with the work that Zimele does. And I travel all around the world, all around partnerships and development, and I walked away incredibly encouraged. So know that your giving, your prayers to Zimele, uh, it is the real deal. Hey, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, I wanna challenge us at this time. We're gonna be reading Acts chapter two, verses 42 to 47. Acts chapter two, verses 42 to 47. Just some context, because I know that you're studying the book of Acts right now. And so there's kind of a little bit of a pause, and I asked Pastor Peter if I could teach on this passage, and he thought in light of the fact that you're leading or starting small groups this week, we're talking about service and fellowship and about what does it mean to be the church together, that it would be good for the church to go back in the book of Acts. So we're gonna be studying the book of Acts, chapter two, verses 42 to 47. And what I would love to do is I wanna invite us to rise to our feet out of reverence for God's word, and we're gonna listen to God's word together. Listen for God's word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So God, thank you so much for the privilege it is to open up the word, to study your word. We ask for the Holy Spirit to be here, its presence and its power. God, we need you so that we're not simply engaging in religious exercise, but God, to experience transformation that can only come through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight and all God's people said, Amen, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Since you're studying the book of Acts right now, uh, we're not gonna take the time to go through all the what, where, when, why of the book of Acts. I just think it's great that you're spending long, intentional time digging into God's word. Today, as we're teaching on Acts 2, verses 42 to 47, I want to first share with you, here's a roadmap of how we'll spend the next 40 minutes. I want to first share with you why this passage resonates with me, why it's one of my favorite passages, why I love teaching on this passage, and then I want to speak to you, based upon this passage and based upon the book of Acts, there's going to be four major points that I want to share with you about what it means to be the church, what it means to engage in small groups, what it means to serve, what it means to know and be known. Four major points. And on one of these four points, we'll take some extra time, and then I wanna speak to you about the seven different types, here's the table, of potluckers that we have in the church, okay? Potluckers, so just keep that in mind. Now, let's talk about this passage here. This is one of my favorite passages because it gives us a vision. It gives us an imagination. It gives us God's will for the church. It describes the first church. People gather together. The Holy Spirit comes, blesses, anoints, and then they gather together. And as we learn, it teaches us what they did. Now, you don't have to be a theologian to know that they gathered together for the purposes of teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's what the early church did. So when we're talking about the church, while we have an appreciation for technology and keyboards and drums and buildings and chairs, we want you to know the most essential things are the things that are listed. That means just as some of you have had the chance of being in rural churches, urban churches, large churches, small churches, churches in South Africa, churches in Rwanda where I was just at, churches in Japan, it doesn't matter what it looks like if we commit ourselves to these things. I believe that God blesses it. The key word here comes to us in verse 42 and it's not just the what, it's the how. They devoted, devotion. That means they cared about these things. They were intentional about these things. They were passionate about these things. And as a result, the Bible tells us in this passage that they began to gain the favor of the people around them. The power of the church is our dependence on the Holy Spirit and our devotion to these things. And as a result, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We're so glad that you're here at church today. I pray that you would have an encounter with the Holy Spirit today. I pray that there would be a transforming work, but I also pray that people outside this building, your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, your enemies, whoever it might be, that they too would come and to experience and encounter the transforming power of Jesus Christ. 
Now, the second reason why I love this passage, it's because it is one of many, many stories in the Bible about food. I don't know about you, but food is really important. Even if you're not a foodie, and I'm not necessarily a foodie, I know that food sustains life. But when you look at the scriptures, there are so many stories of how people gathered together and food was in the middle of the story. Here in our passage in verse 46, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. You show me a group of men, women, children who love Jesus, who are devoted to prayer, devoted to teaching, devoted to fellowship, devoted to good food, and you will see a flourishing church. Now, if you don't believe me, think about some of the stories that we see in the Bible around food. In the Old Testament, we have God demonstrating his power and his provision for the Israelites in the desert for 40 years as he provides for them. In the New Testament, there are so many stories about Jesus and food. We know that Jesus loved going to parties. He loved throwing parties. He loved feeding people. We know that Jesus' first miracle was changing water into wine at a wedding party. Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus had compassion for 5,000 people, men, if you were to include women and children, likely 10 to 12,000 people. He was so compassionate towards them. He feeds them with five pieces of bread and two pieces of fish. John 21 says, come and have breakfast as he speaks to Peter and the other disciples. There are so many stories in the Bible about Jesus, disciples, Jesus, people, and food. Revelation chapter three, verse 20, it says these words, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now the reason why that passage is so significant is in the biblical context, when you ate with someone, it wasn't just we're eating together. There was a deeper significant theological meaning, which was the reason why the religious leaders, the Pharisees of that time, they were incredibly disturbed by Jesus eating with tax collectors, sinners, and prostitutes. It's because when you ate with someone, what you were saying is what? I choose to be in friendship with you. I choose to be in fellowship with you, not just for this meal, but for life. And so Revelations 3.20, if you open the door, Jesus says, I'll come in and we are going to feast and eat together. Today, if there's anyone here at church, maybe you've been coming out for a while or maybe you're visiting, maybe you're returning for the first time, I pray that you would open your heart, open your soul to Jesus so that he can come in and eat and dine with you. So what's the four major points that we can learn from our passage here, particularly around this image of the table and this image of food and dining and potluck? Here's four things. Number one, it's this. Remember, Jesus is our great host. We have worship leaders and pastors and elders and small group leaders and guest preachers. All of these individuals matter. Each of you matter. But today, we need to affirm again and again that it's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about charismatic leaders or great preachers. It's about ultimately the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. The reason why this is important to note is that when a church like Metro continues to grow in influence, in attention and affection, those things happen, but eventually human attention comes towards human people. And it's during those times especially that we have to remind ourselves it's not about 
us. It's about the glory of Jesus. Jesus and Jesus alone is the great host. Even in your own life, as you prosper in your work, in your studies, in your relationship, people will start coming towards you and they'll give you attention and sometimes you'll look in the mirror and you might be mistaken into thinking, man, I did this. I'm in charge. I am in control. And it's a good reminder again that Jesus ultimately is our great host. There's a man by the name of Martin Luther who was a theologian, writer, pastor during the time of the Reformation, and he had these words, particularly around religious leaders. He said, quote, we are all mere beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. When it's all said and done, and this is one of the reasons why I respect Pastor Peter so much, is that he's not fronting. He's not trying to be some perfect person. We all know, every one of us, we are all imperfect, fallen short in the glory of God. We're all beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. Anytime a pastor or leader says otherwise, run the other way. Jesus is the bread of life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the great host. We worship Jesus and Jesus alone. That's number one. Here's the second thing that we need to remember and proclaim here on this Sunday. Number two is this. We need everyone because Jesus wants everyone. Now, I have a limited budget, so I didn't have a real big table or lots of pots and pans. I don't travel with these things. These belong to Pastor Peter and Jenny, someone new. So I just nabbed it from their house and used it. But I want you to use your imagination, an imagination of a long, expansive, fancy table with pots and pans and dishes. In Luke chapter 14, we have a parable that actually gives that kind of an imagination. In Luke 14, there's a parable called the parable of the great feast, Jesus being the great host. And in this party, in this feast, it clearly tells us that the party, this feast, is not just for the who's who. It's not just for the powerful, the famous, the celebrities, the elite, the religious leaders. It is for everyone, including you and me. When we say everyone is welcome, it's because Jesus welcomes everyone. Do not underestimate the powerful, magnanimous love and grace of Jesus. Jesus, when he says, love everybody, welcome everybody, when Jesus says to love your neighbors, he's not just talking about neighbors that look like you, feel like you, worship like you, live like you, speak like you, think like you, and I'll just say it, even those who might not vote like you as well. When Jesus says he welcomes everyone, it's because the emphasis is not just on everyone, the emphasis is on the heart and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's room at this table of Jesus for the misfits, the lonely, the hungry, the poor, the rich, the middle class, whatever political party you affiliate with, even Patriots fans are welcome at the table of Christ. Someone was really offended this morning. (laughs) At this table, Jesus wants everyone. And not only does he want everyone, in welcoming everyone, it reminds us that Jesus wants people of all ethnicity, tribe, background, gender, people with questions and doubts, people that are part of the local church, the global church, the urban church, the rural church. It does not matter. Jesus wants everyone because Jesus loves everyone. Now here's the third thing that we need to be reminded of this morning. We need everyone not just to bring themselves, but to actually bring the gift of themselves and their time talents, and treasures. When Jesus welcomes you to his table, to his great feast, he's not just wanting bodies. He's not just wanting spectators. He's not just wanting consumers. He's not just wanting people to come as seat warmers, as passive people. He's actually wanting all of you. 
Your stories, your time, your talents and treasures. For example, I want you to imagine a party without people. That's not a party. Imagine a party without conversation, smiles, joy, without laughter. Imagine a potluck without food. Many, many years ago when I was a a freshman in college, my roommate and I, his name was Tony, this was the first week of college. We were desperate to make friends, we were insecure, we were unsure how we were going to fit in and so we thought, let's host a party in our dorm room. So we made a little flyer, party at Tony's and Cho's. We scrounged up our money to get some salsa and chips and potato chips. We had Bob Marley play in our cost CD player. Friday night, the first Friday night of our first year in college, we were so excited, no one came. It was just Tony and me awkwardly dancing to Bob Marley. You see, it's not just the party, it's the fact that Jesus wants you and he wants all of you. We don't just want you to come to Metro, sit in these seats, consume, and then leave, and that's the essence of your engagement with the church. When you read Acts chapter two, verses 42 to 47, you realize there's life, there's flourishing, there's engagement. There is what we believe to be God's vision for the church. You see, every single one of us has something to give. Now, it's with that in mind, I think it's appropriate and good for us to pause here on point number three, and I wanna speak to you about an analogy to help drive this point, because it's so important. The analogy that I think would be helpful for us to think about church, to think about small groups, to think about serving, is the analogy for church as a potluck. A potluck. Now, show of hands, how many of you this past year, since January, how many of you have been to a potluck? Raise your hands if you've been to a potluck. Man, not that many. How many of you have hosted a potluck? It's a very selfish church, just a very small number of you, okay? (laughs) Now, as a pastor for many, many years, I love potlucks. And we'll get into it, I love potlucks, and I don't wanna boast, but I will is that over the years of hosting, attending, going to my share of potlucks, I have grown to become sort of an expert and guru on all things potlucks. And I have conducted some incredibly thorough and biased and unscientific research (laughs) to give you seven types of church potluckers. Seven types of church potluckers. Okay, so let's go through these seven and to see what we can learn and what the word of God might have to say about these seven types of church potluckers. Here's number one, church, church potlucker number one, it's the no-show. It's the non-committal person. Now, to be honest, sometimes I feel like this. I'm afraid in our world and culture to commit to anything. Because I also want to make sure that leave my options open. I want to see if there are other scenarios, other invitations, other small groups, other churches, other parties, other individuals that I would rather hang out with. And so as a result, we're afraid to say yes or no, so we're very non-committal. The church no-show potlucker rarely responds to the Evite invitation. When you email or text, it's typically a response of, I'm not sure, I might be busy, I'm fasting, no you're not. (laughs) I might be doing my hair, I might need to wash my car, I might be memorizing the book of Leviticus, no you're not. And here's the thing, two words, I think one of the most powerful things that we can do in today's world, two words, is to simply show up to be present, to show up. Galatians chapter five, verse 13 simply says to serve one another 
in love. You cannot serve one another in love if you're not present. You cannot love one another in small groups if you don't show up. There's something powerful in having a level of security saying, I know I'm not perfect, I'm far from it, but I choose to engage in friendship, engage in fellowship, engage in missions, engage in ministry together. I want to show up. So some of us, and again, I pray that you don't take this sermon from a, I'm not trying to utilize fear or guilt. That's not my hope here. My hope is that there might be an element of truth and the Holy Spirit encourages you but also convicts you. And so some of you might be on the edges. And maybe today is the day where you say, you know what, I need to take a step closer towards making a commitment. Some of you who are wrestling, do I join a small group or not? Well, let me answer that question for you. Show up. You cannot, for example, love your neighbors if you don't know your neighbors. When people say love your neighbors, if you don't know your neighbors, it's all a theological nebulous exercise. Church on Sunday mornings is wonderful and great, but this right here is not the totality of what church is. It's simply one important, but only one expression. So what does it mean to engage in life and service and small groups together? Here's church potlucker number two. It's the person who brings nothing. Now listen, again, once it's okay, twice is okay, three times is okay, but after 20 times, bruh, I practice that line so much, bruh, my kids are like, no, that didn't sound right. At first I said, bro, they're like, that's just, you're old. And here's the thing, here's why this matters so much, because I actually believe that one of the most dangerous lies of the devil is telling you, deceiving you and me, that we're useless, we're worthless, we're good for nothing. And what's painful is sometimes as human beings, we allow that kind of deceitful trash to come out of our lips to other people. Sometimes it might be to our children, it might be to our parents, it might be to our siblings. I want you to know that God gives gifts to every single person. In the book of Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians, it tells us, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Our God is a good God, who says you are God's handiwork, he gives good gifts to each and every single one of you not to hoard, not to be selfish, but to share with others for his glory and honor. Every single one of us has something to bring. We have some stories to bring. We have smiles and gifts and talents and the list goes on. When you choose not to engage in service or small groups, it robs you of learning from others, but it robs other people from learning from you. Here's church potlucker number three. It's the person who brings food for one. <laughs> it's rare, but it happens. One chicken wing. Like even if from Kyochons, come on, seriously. One can of soda, one serving of salad, true story, at a potluck, this dude from our church brought one piece of Hawaiian bread. Now I know for a fact that the smallest Hawaiian bread has at least six pieces of bread. So I asked him, I said, bruh, why? <laughs> I'm trying too hard. I asked him, I said, what happened to the other five? And he said, Pastor Eugene, I'm sorry, I was hungry. So I ate the five pieces. <laughs> what does the word of God have to say 
Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11 says this, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. What does that mean? It means that God is inviting us to be generous. When people hear that automatically in our Western context, automatically, the first thing that we think about is, it's about money. And it's not just about money. Generosity is not just about our dollars. It's part of our ways that we can be generous. But when we're talking about generosity in the scriptures, it's talking about all of our lives. It's talking about our time. It's talking about our expertise. It's talking about our vulnerabilities. It's talking about our smiles. It's talking about you choosing to come a little early or to stay afterwards so that you can be available to someone to simply say, are you new to church? How can I encourage you? How can I pray for you? My name is Eugene. Is there a way that I can help you get connected at Metro? Do you understand that even as we sit here right now, every single one of us, including me, all of us have great joys and we also have great pain. Every single one of us, every one of us, the person who delivers the pizza to your house That person is more than just a pizza deliverer. We all have stories. And so when we speak about being generous, I want you to think about having a deeper imagination of what that can look like. Here's person number four. It's the person who complains about everything. The person who complains about the potluck, about the time, about the food, about the host, about the person who only brings food for one, and the list goes on. Now, I want you to realize this is not my passive aggressive way as a pastor telling you, you shouldn't ever complain at church. That's not it. I actually believe it's important that you articulate concerns, questions that you have about the church. But there's a difference between blind submission and discerning engagement with leadership. Anytime your leaders or any leader says blindly submit to us, you run the other way. Because that's dangerous. But there's something to be said about people, especially in today's climate, where we're purposely, intentionally, exclusively looking for reasons to criticize. If that's your heart's posture, then you're always going to find things to critique, always. It's inevitable. And after a while, if that's the only song that you sing, it becomes exhausting because that's the only thing that will ever come out of your lips. Don't be the person who complains about everything. First Peter chapter four, verse nine says, offer hospitality. Another word for that is offer friendship, offer service to one another without grumbling. Here's church potlucker number five. It's the person who eats everything. Now, the person who, I'm not talking about the person who takes a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this. I'm talking about the person who literally eats everything as if it's the last meal before the second coming of Jesus. Like after a while, you know that if you've been to enough potlucks with this person, like if you're coming with a family, your family huddles together and says, we have to have a strategy. (laughs) One of you needs to take one for the team, distract that person and ask that person the question, how is your soul? (laughs) And you get in line because you want to eat. And the crazy thing about this person is 98 of the time, according to my unscientific research, it's usually a very petite Asian woman. You know what I'm talking about. 
What does the word of God say? I love Philippians. Philippians chapter two, verse three, four says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. How are you? Have you eaten? How can I serve you? Are you new here? Please come in line. Have you tried this dish? Please have a seat. There's something beautiful when we're not just looking out for me, myself, and I. Here's church potlucker number six. It's the person, and this person, this really bugs me. It's the person who won't try anything new. Now, here's the thing. The purpose of the potluck is not just so that you bring something and that you eat what you've brought. The purpose of the potluck is to enjoy the fellowship, the friendship, the food contributions of friends and new friends to be made. This is one of the reasons why I believe in the vision of Metro. It's commitment to the gospel, but it's commitment even at times because we know the multi-ethnic church is hard. We know that the multi-ethnic church looks good on paper, but when we do life together, sometimes it's tough. It's hard and it's challenging. There's a cost to it. But in the multi-ethnic church, it reminds us that we need the beautiful diversity of the table. Not only does Jesus want everyone, but in this beautiful diversity of the table, it values your language, your culture, your stories, your music, and oh, the food. As a Korean American, I just want to be very clear, I love Korean food. But in the church potluck, I don't want 20 Korean dishes. I want to enjoy the contributions of others. For example, can you imagine going to a church potluck and there's 20 dishes of casserole? I've been to a few church men's group potlucks. It's the worst, (laughs) the absolute worst. And in the church men's group potlucks, I went to this one and there was like 20 bags of chips. (laughs) Now listen, I don't care if you bring it in a fancy orangish, reddish, taupe, pottery barn pot. It's still chips. In the church potluck, what I'm saying is, as we value what we're able to bring, can we also value and enjoy and celebrate the diversity of the table? I mean, I've been to my share of potlucks at our church. When I think about potlucks, I think about friends who bring authentic southern chicken grits and barbecue and cornbread. It is holy. I think about friends who bring warm, homemade baguette and cheese. Or how about Swedish meatballs? Not the ones from Ikea, authentic (laughs) Swedish meatballs. Have you ever tried, perhaps friends who are from Italy who love cooking authentic lasagna or risotto? Have you ever tried masala or spicy curry from your Indian friends? How about things that resemble like just incredibly delicious street patai from Thailand? Dim sum from Hong Kong or China or long bao dumplings from China. Have you enjoyed sushi? It's so good. (laughs) How about kebabs or hummus from the Middle East? Specifically, I've had some of the best kebabs in Turkey. I have some friends who are from south of our border from Mexico or other nations and when they come and they bring their tacos and enchiladas. When I think about the church potluck, I think about the diversity of the table. 
Revelation chapter seven, verse nine says, quote, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the lamb. Here in the word of God, it gives us a clear picture, a clear vision of what our eternity will look like. If that's going to be our eternity, my question to you is why not begin now? Right now. This is the reason why I truly believe that your investment in what God is doing at Metro, it matters. We're trying to give an imagination to others who are more comfortable in our homogenous, singular settings to say, we have to stretch ourselves so that the world may see that the church is the one place where people of all backgrounds can gather to worship Jesus. Here's church potlucker number seven. It's the person that I simply would say, says, I'm here. I've shown up. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you. I'm so grateful. Thanks for allowing me to come here. I brought something to contribute. What did you bring? How can we enjoy this together? Let me introduce myself. What's your story? How can I help? How can we serve one another? How can I know you better and be known? How can I pray for you and hear ways that you can pray for me? How can we do life together? That's the great church potluck. And as a result, people will look at this table, at the church and say, something seems really extraordinary at this table. It is because Jesus is our great host. Jesus wants everyone because he loves everyone and we see people that have gathered together And at this table, there is faith and hope and joy and love and forgiveness and peace. That leads me to the last point that I wanna make, point number four, and it's this. As you're thinking about that person that says, I'm here, let me give you another analogy to help drive that point because it really, really matters. I want you to know that there's a major difference between a guest and a host mentality. Now listen, I believe that the challenge of the modern church, more specifically, the challenge of the Western modern church is that we have too many people acting like guests when we're called to be hosts. Now I get it, and I hope that you receive this with a spirit of love, I get it, if you're new at church, if you've only been coming out just for a few weeks, then obviously you're still kind of in guest mode, like where's the restroom, where's class, what do I do? But if you've been coming out here for months, for years, and yet, if we're honest, bluntly honest, you still want guest privileges. You want to park in the best parking spaces, You drop stuff on the floor and you don't care because in your mind you think it's an event and someone else is going to do it. That's the difference between a guest and a host mentality. You come to my house and there's a posture. When you come, guess what I'm gonna do? First, I'll be there. I'll be there to welcome you. Welcome to my house. I'm so glad that you're here. Please have a seat. Do you want some water? How is your family doing? Have a seat. Food will be ready very shortly. There's a different posture between a guest and a host. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road. The reason why this is a temptation is because we live in a very consumer, individualistic, what's in it for me society. And as a result, that kind of mentality bleeds into our understanding of church. Now, let's just admit, all of us are consumers. I am. Every one of us, we're consumers. So I get it that church has to resonate, has to speak to you on some level. Church has to have programs for youth and children that somehow encourages and speaks to your family. But I also want you to know that it's not all about you.
if we're simply seduced by this guest mentality, then I fear that what it could look like is that we'll come late, leave early, get what you want, sing a few songs, have our hands in our pocket, listen to the sermon. It better be good, entertaining, better not go over 40 minutes. We say hi to a handful of friends, our closest clique, and then we move on to the next week. Now, again, I should add, I'm trying to say this in a spirit of love because I really do want to come back next year. But that's the danger of the guest and host mentality. So you gotta ask the question, are you a guest or are you a host? Because I firmly believe that if everyone that believes Metro is their home church embodies what it means to be a host, a revolution's gonna take place. Acts chapter two, verses 42 to 47 is gonna take place. It will gain the favor of people. People will look at this church and go, what is going on? And the Holy Spirit will begin to draw people onto Jesus. And that's a good thing. There's two last things that I'll just share, micro points, that I'll share with you about why this matters. There's a spiritual reason and there's a practical reason. The spiritual reason is it's about your discipleship. It's about your growth. So when Metro and your pastors and elders are speaking about what does it mean to be invested and to give and to serve and to be part of small groups and to do fellowship and to study God's word, the reason why it matters is because it's all about your discipleship. The practical reason is that we also need you because a healthy church A healthy family, a healthy organization needs everyone to participate. Some of you who work in companies have heard about the 80-20 principle of about 20% of an organization doing all of the work. In churches, they speak about a 90-10 principle. That after a while, it ends up becoming 10% of the church that does 90% of the giving, serving, volunteering. It's not sustainable. People will burn out. Discipleship won't go deep. So today, if you're a guest, hey, welcome. Seriously, we're so glad you're here. But if you call Metro your church, maybe you come once a month, maybe you come twice a month, I'm not sure, it's not guilt, fear, or shame, but if you call Metro your church, then my invitation to you is, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? What's the one step that you can take? I love this because if we truly believe that Jesus saved me, then I will live with gratitude. If I know that Jesus washed my feet, I'm gonna wash the feet of others. Jesus serves me, so I want to serve others. Jesus blesses me, so I want to be a blessing to others. Jesus is the bread of life, so I want to feed others. Jesus gave me living water, so I want to help quench the thirst of others. Jesus forgives me, so I want to forgive others. Jesus loves me, so I want want to love others, Jesus made sure to leave room at this table, so I want to invite others to the table and on behalf of Jesus, be a host. So Father, thank you so much. I pray, God, that you would stir Again, I pray that no one walks away feeling a sense of guilt or shame, but a sense of joy and conviction because we want people to grow deep in their discipleship and because we also desire to see health and flourishing here at this church continually. We're grateful for what you've done and what you promised that you will continue to do. I pray that people here for someone that they would say yes to you, acknowledging that you are the great host. I pray that you would remind everyone that they are wanted and needed at this table. 
And Father, I pray that you would remind each and every single one of us to consider that one step to grow deeper as a host for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Let's thank Pastor Eugene for that great word. It's powerful. We need you more than you know. And hopefully maybe God communicated that with you today. We can't do this without you, really can't. Uh, could you please turn over your communication card to some next steps I'd love to take you through that's really applicable to, um, to what Pastor Eugene just preached on. First is the most important thing. If you've never given your life to Jesus, but you wanna do that right now, I wanna encourage you to check that box off and then directly after the service, go out to the table called the next table. One of our staff members will be there and they'd love to give you a new believers packet, but also pray with you and perhaps get you connected so that you're not a Lone Ranger Christian, all right? So if you'd like to do that, please do check that off. Second, please send me info on how I can sign up for a small group. Small group registration is going to be starting, I believe next, Sunday, the leaders got together last yesterday and had some training at Pastor David Hosang's house. If you're interested in, I think all of us should try to get involved in being a part of a small group, uh, check that box off. And what we're going to do is that this week we'll send you a link so you can register for a small group even before people can register next Sunday. The groups go by real fast and so there are a limit for every group size. And so we do encourage you to check that off and we'll make sure we give you that information. Third, uh, I'm interested in serving at Metro kids. Uh, I talked to Michelle and, and Na this week, and uh, they, they are lacking teachers. Uh, they need some people to step up and become hosts. What's going to happen if more teachers don't show up or if decide to volunteer is that uh, during second service, Metro Kids is going to be basically a babysitting service. And we want to teach our kids the Bible. We want to pour into them. Uh, if you have opportunities, if you want to, maybe if you feel convicted and want to get plugged in somehow, we encourage you to think about maybe serving at Metro Kids. Could you please check that off and uh, we'll make sure we get back to you this week. The media team is looking for a videographer. Uh, if you've done some videos, we'd love to show what the Holy Spirit's doing through this church. And one of the best ways in how we can do that also is through videos. And so if you have some experience, check that off. Tim will get together with you this week and talk to you about how maybe you can get plugged in. Partnership class, it's an invitation. It's what we call the membership class. It's your invitation to go from being a guest to a host. If you attended the Connections Dinner, we'd love for you to sign up and be a part of the partnership class. It'll be on September 15th. It'll be at my home at 3.30 p.m. That'll be next Sunday at my house. So please, if you're interested, but you have to attend the Connections Dinner first because the Connections Dinner, which will be taught in the, which will be the last Sunday of the month, really gives you some groundwork to sort of make a decision whether you want to go deeper with Metro or not, right? So you should attend the Connections Dinner before you go to the partnership class, all right?